Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about what's going on at the Vatican. This week, we cover new revelations about former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Plus, we explain what's going on in the high-profile case of Asia Bibi and explain what the disappearance of four underground Chinese priests means for the recent Vatican-China deal. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. So we're recording this on Tuesday, November 6th, and this morning in Rome, a new book came out containing new revelations about who knew what when in the case of former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C. We'll recap that story really quick. We covered this in episode one. Archbishop McCarrick resigned from the College of Cardinals this summer after a credible accusation was brought against him saying that he sexually abused a minor. Since then, many more stories came out about it being kind of an open secret that McCarrick was also abusing seminarians and priests. And in August, a letter came out from the former Vatican ambassador to the United States, Carlo Maria Vigano, claiming that Pope Francis knew about McCarrick and let him continue living as a high-profile figure in the American church. And Vigano called on the Pope to resign. So about this new book. Yeah, the title of the book is Il Giorno del Giudizio, in other words, The Day of Judgment. Oh my gosh. It's written by Andrea Tornielli, who was the founder of Vatican Insider, the website that covers uh, Vatican affairs, and Gianni Valente, who is also a journalist who now works with the pontifical agency, the news agency of the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples, what was formerly called Propaganda Fide. It focuses on the Vigano story, but in the broader context, saying, what's happening here? What do you mean by that? Well, basically, the accusations against Pope Francis calling for his resignation, what's behind it? And it seeks to get to the background story, it tracks the history of the appointment of McCarrick to Washington. It shows that Cardinal John O'Connor of New York was strongly against that appointment, and he had made the information known through the nuncio to the Holy See, I think at the end of 1999. So this would mean that the nuncio had reported the rumors of McCarrick abusing seminarians before he was appointed as archbishop? I think so. Got it. The book is 260, 70 pages in Italian. It's quite a sizable book, and uh, it's got a lot of inside information from people who were in the United States in the period before McCarrick was appointed to Washington and who had access to information about what happened. But it does not name these people. And it says that McCarrick was aware that uh, there was opposition to his nomination. He came to Rome in the months before the appointment took place. And there's rumor that he also put in writing his defense, self-defense, against those rumors. So if we can find that, that would be a significant development in the story. Yeah, maybe next week we can talk more in detail when I will have more of it, but I'll probably write something for the magazine in the coming days. Sounds good. You can find Jerry's article on this as soon as it goes up at americamagazine.org or by following him on Twitter at Jerry O. Rome.
Our next story comes out of Pakistan, where the high-profile death sentence of a Christian woman was recently overturned, but the woman, 49-year-old Asia Bibi, remains in solitary confinement. You've been following the story of Asia Bibi, who is a Pakistani Christian woman who supposedly got into an argument with her neighbor years ago and then was sent to prison for blasphemy because in that argument she was accused of blaspheming against uh, the Prophet Muhammad. And you've been following this story, Jerry. Can you give us a quick roundup of what's going on with it? There's a lot of uncertainty about what actually happened that led to her original, the accusation against her. She was working in the fields with Muslim women. They asked her to go and get water at a well. She went with the bucket, and then when she came back, somebody accused her of drinking from it. In other words, defiling the bucket and uh, the water. An argument started, and it's not clear. Nobody has actual solid evidence. There are varying interpretations of what happened then. But she was accused of offending the Prophet Muhammad. And this carried a death sentence, right? That was in 2009. She was then brought before a judge. The the court uh, judged that she had blasphemed. She was sentenced to death in 2010. From 2010 to the present day, she has been in solitary confinement. When the Supreme Court was about to review the case, the protests organized by the extremist Islamist movements took to the streets. The first judge that was appointed to be in charge of the case resigned out of fear of his life. The chief justice decided that he would take the case. They judged in her favor, overturning the condemnation to the sentence of death, and they ordered her immediate release. The reality is she hasn't been released from prison. Right. She's still in prison because the street protests started immediately and reached such a level of ferocity, threatening the government itself, that last Friday, the government reached an agreement with the leader of this extremist movement Mm -hmm. that they would review the case. And the extremist movement also asked that a law would be passed which would prevent her from leaving the country. Now, the situation is very tense. Mm -hmm. The latest reports say she is still in prison. Now, for her protection... She's protected by the army and by the intelligence services. And anybody who goes to visit her is checked, even those who bring her food. So they are quite afraid that some attack will be made on her life. For the new government, which has only come into power less than a couple of months ago or less, it is a major problem because they have to deal with these fundamentalist groups. Can you explain why Asia Bibi's death was overturned, her death sentence? Because the witnesses contradicted each other, the evidence wasn't substantial, and so the judges ruled that given these two facts, the the case did not stand up. And is it possible that she would be detained just indefinitely now? What do we think is going to happen? Her only security would be to get out of the country. And would it be likely for the Vatican or another country to try to offer her asylum? Her husband has appealed to Italy, for example, and to Canada. And uh, the Italian government said they're trying to do things discreetly. But it's a question of getting her out of prison as well. Right, right. 
given the history of the violence that has followed, remember Pakistan has suffered enormously because of the war in Afghanistan, first against the Russians, then against the Americans, when the Americans launched the war in after the 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of some or even Taliban groups coming into the country. And so it's unstable political situation in a country which has a lot of educated people, but a lot of poor people as well. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to mislead the people by rhetoric that is inflammatory, that says she has offended the Prophet Muhammad. And people don't look for evidence. They get heated up in the with the street protests, and the result is a very angry crowd. Pope Francis has also been following this story. He met with Asia Bibi's family back in February, and he called her a martyr. And is it likely that the Vatican would try to offer her asylum? It's very difficult to say. Italy is ready to offer her asylum, and presumably the Vatican often talks with Italy. Benedict XVI also spoke out in her favor and called for her release. Pope Francis, he met her husband and one of the one of the children, a daughter, and the daughter told him, my mom, she'd visited the mother in prison before she visited Pope Francis. She said, my mom said to, to give you a kiss. So she hugged the Pope. And Francis said, I pray every day for her. And he, he, he gave something to the daughter to give to the mother. But, you know, it's a complicated, very complicated political situation. To go back to your question, whether the Vatican would offer asylum, I'm sure it's it's a possibility. But if Italy cannot do it, it's difficult to see how the Vatican would. Because Italy accepts uh, Pakistani people. They have trade deals with Pakistan. The Vatican doesn't have such. Now, Jerry, you talked to Archbishop Kutz of Pakistan last week, and you said that he pointed out that many people in Pakistan who are not part of this extremist movement, do support Asia Bibi's release. He said to you, uh, not everyone is screaming for blood. But he also said that Christians there do fear retaliatory violence. Do you think that Christian communities are are at risk here as well? Archbishop Kutz is now the second Pakistani cardinal. He was made cardinal in the last consistory by Pope Francis. Sorry, Cardinal Kutz. Pakistan is one of the largest Muslim countries in the world, after Indonesia. You've got 190 million people in Pakistan. Four to five million of these are Christian. So Christians are a tiny minority. Right, and like 1% are Catholic. Uh, Yes, about two million people are Catholic. So do you think that that movement will target Christians if if Asia Bibi is released? It is possible. There is fear in the Christian community. There's no doubt about that because these people deliver on their threats. However, the vast majority of people in the country are supportive of the Christians. As Asia Bibi's story continues to unfold, we'll keep you up to date at americamagazine.org. On Monday, November 5th, Asia News reported that four Chinese priests had been taken into police custody and disappeared. All four belong to the underground Catholic community in China, and they refuse to join the state-approved Chinese Patriotic Association. According to Asian News, all four of the priests were apprehended at their churches, and they were taken in in order to be indoctrinated in China's religious policies. They said one priest may be on house arrest. 
these disappearances may throw a wrench in the deal that the Vatican made with China over the summer. So I want to explain that deal quickly before we get into my conversation with Jerry. Basically, there are two Catholic communities in China, the underground church and the state-recognized church, whose priests and bishops are members of the Chinese Patriotic Association. Numbers-wise, there are 30 underground bishops who are recognized by the Vatican, but not by the government, and there are 60 Patriotic Association bishops. Now, seven of those bishops were ordained without the Vatican's approval, but thanks to this summer's Vatican-China deal, those seven bishops are now also recognized by the Vatican. So every bishop in China is now Vatican-approved. The other part of the agreement basically took the Chinese way of appointing bishops, which involves getting input from the local community, then taking a vote, and then getting government approval, and now it gives the Pope final veto power over that. Both parties see this agreement as sort of a provisional agreement because it doesn't clear up the situation of the underground Catholics. Jerry said that a meeting between the Vatican and China is likely to happen before Christmas in order to clear up that situation. So going back to these four priests, um, what's the situation that priests are in after this bishop's agreement? Is it like if your bishop was, you know, one of the seven, you now are also in communion with Rome? How does this work? No, the the priests themselves, you've had in some areas, you've had an official bishop with a community and an underground bishop with his community. Right. Now, several of the underground bishops still do not want to be part of the Patriotic Association. They could well resist being part of it. Mm-hmm. Many of the priests, they said, for all these years, we've stood faithfully. We do not want to be part of the Patriotic Association. They would recognize to be officially recognized by the government without being part of the association. And that's what the Vatican, I think, will try to achieve in the upcoming negotiations with China. Uh, But it's a difficult situation for these priests because for decades, if a priest didn't look as if he were sharing the Patriotic Association's view on questions, he would be taken away for re-education. And that's what happened to these four, right? That's what happened to these four as well. It's an ongoing process. There are two bishops in prison. We don't know what's happened to them. Their fate is also, these are underground bishops. As Vatican officials said publicly and also told me personally, the agreement resolves one problem. There are a lot of other problems to be resolved. First and foremost, the question of the underground bishops and their communities. Because in China, you have about 12 million Catholics. The number is not not absolutely certain, but that's the estimate. Half of those belong to the underground. The government, when it gives figures about the Catholics in China, says there are five or six million. It does not recognize the existence of these others. And so the question is how to bring about reconciliation within the church in China. You have to resolve the situation of the underground communities. Right. So I wanted to ask you about this situation right now, taken together with what else is going on with China, with the uh, sinicization of churches, with the, the steeples and bells being removed, etc., and also the kind of persecution of other minority religious groups like the Uyghurs, um, it, it sort of seems like President Xi is, it seems like he's not trying to give any ground to the Vatican or anyone else, right? This this agreement about the bishops meant that the 
Vatican would recognize these seven bishops, but the Patriotic Association isn't going to recognize the the 30 underground bishops. It, it seems like the Vatican is giving ground, but G is not. And it's it, it almost seems to be like embarrassing, you know, from the outside to the Pope. Um, what does this say about what the next steps for the Vatican deal will be? Will, will they take into account that this government is kind of just disregarding the need to respect these religious minorities? You've asked many questions. Uh, first of all, the Vatican was well aware when they signed the agreement that it, it was only touching one question, although a central question, but there were many other issues to be dealt with. For example, since February, the government has activated regulations which make it illegal for a young person to be baptized, young people to get religious education, young people to attend church services. So much so now that underground priests are telling people, don't come to church because they will be penalized. And this in many ways reminds me of what happened in Czechoslovakia under the harsh regime. Because the rationale behind all this is that by preventing young people under 18 from participating in church religious services or in education classes or camps run by religious organizations, it's really threatening the future of the church in China. But as happened in in Eastern Europe, this didn't succeed. And Chinese Catholics have, and Chinese Christians, not just Catholics, have a long history of resistance. So they they will find ways, but it's it's a reality in the present moment. And this was introduced in February. The legislation was always there, but it wasn't implemented. Since February, the legislation is being implemented. This is the legislation and regulations against young people participating in religion. What it means in practice is, if you are a father of a family, you've got two children, three children. Well, most of them don't. They one or two at most. You take your son to allow the son at 15 years old to go to church on Sunday. Not only does he get penalized, but you get penalized. In schools, there's a in the registration now, you have to say what religion does he have religious affiliation. And the teachers are telling the, the students, don't sign that. Otherwise, your parents won't get assistance for your education. So all of this just doesn't seem like the way that that the Chinese government should be doing things if they want this uh, deal with the Vatican to progress any further. The reality is, I think there has been a, an intensification of the crackdown right. in, in these years. But the Vatican, uh, I, I think, understood that it was important to open the door. Because if the doors are closed, you, 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 you can't talk. So it's important to try to open a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And they succeeded with this question on the appointment of bishops. And the hope is that they will be able to dialogue their way through other questions. People here in the Vatican tell me it won't be an overnight solution. It will take several years. Uh, I think nobody is under any illusions. But it's to try to prevent the situation getting worse. Because if they did not reach the agreement on the appointment of bishops it would mean that the China could well have gone ahead independently and put its own stooges as bishops. And therefore, the whole future of the church in China would, would be at a greater risk. 
Jerry said that we may have an update to this situation by Christmas, and for more updates on what happens to these four priests, you can follow Jerry and myself on Twitter, at Colleen Deli and at Jerry O. Rome. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully, and edited by Oliver Lazarus. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup, with production assistance this week by Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org, or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week. Mm-hmm.